When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Dale. Got a new assignment for you. Vacation. Uh, thanks, boss. Y- you mean it? You betcha. Self-care is good for business. Sometimes things just get better, like AT&T. We've invested more than $150 million to grow our wireless network coverage to over 99% of Nebraska. Visit att.com slash Nebraska and learn how to get a free smartphone when you switch to AT&T. Coverage not available everywhere. Over 99% coverage based on third-party data. Network investments based on 2018 through 2020 expenditure. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. And welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the show. We are brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show. Thank you to you for joining the show. And thank you to my guest, Morton Jensen, for joining me on this podcast. Mort, it has been a while, but I'm glad to have you back, mate. How's things? It's going well. Thank you for having me back, first and foremost. But it's it's going well uh, outside of you know coronavirus cases spiking again worldwide and also here in Denmark. Yeah, uh, so got to be a little bit extra careful there. So wear your masks, people. But outside of that, it's it's going well. Thank you. I hope the same for your end. Yeah, it's not too bad, mate. I'm still we're still in lockdown here, but um, uh, hopefully exiting soon. But who the hell knows? Things can change in this space pretty damn quickly. But uh, you know, you're just getting used to it at this point, I suppose. 2020 is essentially a write-off. We're in, we're in September now, and the, the nonsense continues to ensue. But um, so long as we're all happy, healthy, safe, that's probably the main thing. But um, yeah, mate. Uh, yeah, it's been a while since we've talked, obviously. We got you back on Talk Bulls basketball, but specifically to maybe take a look towards the draft. I haven't necessarily had much of a transit, uh, chance at this point, rather, to talk about the draft itself or going into details i've mentioned it here and there and obviously the fact that it's uh it, it's something that's probably the first milestone for uh, for our tuna, a tourist kind of show us and his new uh, management group as to their first big thing that they need to do with him at the helm at the moment but the draft was meant to be well it was meant to be happening in the mid-october but now it's been pushed back to about november 18th but maybe it's going to get pushed back again who the hell knows but that essentially gives us more time to talk about this draft which is good for me because i need to still do some more homework but i know you've definitely done a lot more than i have so hence why i wanted to get you on to talk draft but um maybe to talk more philosophically and more high level about this specific draft and 
and the, what the Bulls approach should be at this draft, how they should handle it from a strategic standpoint, if this draft really you know, he's going to change the perception of this Bulls rebuild. Those are the sorts of things that I want to get into. We can also obviously talk about the uh, the prospects at large, um, but also going to the to Bulls coaching as well. Obviously, there's that is still uh, that's what I mentioned the draft actually. The, the Bulls coaching search is is, is going to be our kind of Shavis's first port of call. But the other things I wanted to discuss today, as you've done more work on the draft than I have, you are best per- the best person to. Uh, have this conversation with but let's start with um the general approach of the draft and how you think the Bulls should be heading into this specific draft in terms of should they be thinking best player available should they be thinking about position what should they be considering what should they be avoiding those sorts of things you know let's start there at least I'm always a big proponent of going best player available in the draft. I think when you're plucking holes, that should be done in free agency. I think those two are pretty set. Like you go for upside in the draft, and if you need something specific, you can you can fill that out in free agency. So always BPA for me. Uh, I think for the Bulls, they they need to just figure out like how to put these specific guys in tiers because this draft is going to be crazy. There's no real consensus consensus about where you know certain players are going to land. You, you can realistically say that a guy who is projected like seventh in a mock draft could could go in the late 20s. Like everything is up in the air. Uh, I kind of want to go back a little bit to what Ricky O'Donnell used, uh, used to say. Like he, he, he always said that even if you might have to reach a little bit, you know, if you like a certain guy, go get him. Just take him. Even if you have to take him a little bit higher, if you like someone, get him. Now, Usually, I would slightly disagree with him, depending on you know the scale. Like if you have the fourth pick and you liked someone who was projected to go in the fourteen fifteen range, I would always be a big proponent of just basically saying, then trade down and see if you can get another asset out of such a deal, like maybe a another draft pick or a, a young player or something else that you can add to the treasure trove. This year, however, I'm all in on Ricky's logic because again, this draft is more so of a crapshoot than anything else we, we simply have not had a whole lot of data on a lot of these guys there are a lot of weird players who really don't have this one bankable skill so if you like someone just completely disregard especially this draft where they're slotted because in terms of the mock draft just take who you like even if you have to reach significantly because everything is up in the air yeah, I mean, that's all fair. I, 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 it was sort of a leading question to a degree as to, you know, the, the Bulls approach, which, whether it should be best player or not, or whether they should just, you know, look at it from a positional sense. And I guess the reason why I asked the question is because I'm, I'm sort of weighing it up in my head. I know typically I would agree and would say the, the Bulls roster at this point of the rebuild just you know, obviously is clearly nowhere near complete. They, they just need an infusion of talent. And typically you take the best player available. But I'm just wondering in this day and age, if the best player available was a traditional four or a traditional center, would you take that player as the best player available? Yeah, no, I actually wouldn't. So I'm one of those guys who believe that it's actually the power forward position that has died, not the center position. You know, for years, we all said that the center has died. I think the center is alive and well. They just have to yeah. to be of a certain caliber, and they need to be a defensive oriented mindset. So the center position has changed, but it's still there. It's it's the power forward mm-hmm. position to me that's just dead and buried. Which is also why I am way more concerned about Laurie Markin and moving forward than I was say a year ago. Yeah. Um. So no, I wouldn't. And, and there's another component that I think we 
kind of forget as an NBA community when we discuss big men in the draft, and that is big men have gotten insanely cheap in free agency. You know, uh, I, I like to pick up this this example a lot. Rashawn Holmes signed with the Kings last season or last summer uh, for two years, $9.7 million, I want to say. And he turned into a very, very dependable you know, starting center, over 12 points a game, over eight rebounds, shot over 60% from the field. I think he hit 80% from the line. Uh, he, he was, and he was an active defensively as well. So if you can find and identify those players in free agency, and you can actually get a center who is sort of starting caliber worthy for that amount of money, I simply wouldn't go out and spend a draft pick on a big guy. I just wouldn't. Then I would prioritize players who have. Uh, more future contractual value and more trade value, I would actually go for wings because right now the name of the game is wings. If you have a wing who can handle the basketball, who can play both sides of the ball and who can rebound a little bit and and preferably shoot as well, that's the key swing skill here. That's got to be the one that you have to prioritize. Um, And and I would also also argue that we have to define, when, when we say best player available, it also comes down to what, how do we define best? Do we talk about who is most influential or just like who has the best skills? Because if we go by best skills, I would argue that a power forward center like Onyeko Kongbu from LSU or USC, sorry, is right up there in terms of skills. But if we're talking about influence, like Devin Vassell from Florida State right there should probably be the more influential player from day one. So it boils down to your preference um, and how you kind of uh, break down the word best. Yeah, and look, Okongwu is a perfect example because I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being, you know, one of the top five players in this draft. But obviously the Bulls hold the number four pick. They've got their power forward in Markman. They've got their center in, in Wendell Carter now. That isn't to say those two players are cemented into those positions for the next 10 years or or anything of, like, of that nature. Clearly, this is all a fluid situation. But guys like Okongwu, Obi Toppin, James Wiseman, not to say that they are the best player available at number four, but assuming for whatever reason, Karnaschovas was to think that they were, given that they play a position that the Bulls don't necessarily need and maybe that specific position, more so powerful than center, is uh, yeah less relevant, let's say, or easier to fill through other needs, for the, whether it's through free agency or trade. That's why I was just wondering, in this day and age, particularly around big men, if this whole best player available principle has as much merit as what it did in the past. I certainly, you know... You know, I obviously believed in that previously, and maybe it's a counterfactual. I mean, because if you are a big guy, if you play a position that is less relevant, or you can find so frequently elsewhere, then maybe that automatically discounts you from being that best best player available. I don't know the answer to it, but these are just the thoughts that I've just been going back and forward. Uh, you know, in my own mind, but I just keep coming back to the fact that this Bulls draft needs to be about need, and I know that. You know, is a bit of a challenging thought for me, particularly in the past, because I have always gone BPA. But they just need wings at this point. They need some on-ball creation, and that may coincide with who is BPA. But yeah, it's just an interesting conversation, just in case that BPA player is not a wing or not a guard for whatever reason. That that it's just an interesting thought exercise, I suppose. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think it boils down to you have to be. Uh, you have to be locked into how the NBA is operating. You know, we knew that Garpax wasn't yeah. really progressive in that sense. They they weren't looking ahead. Now it seems like, you know, Arturis Karnaschovas 
and Mark Eversley are those kind of people. So I have to assume that the Bulls are thinking differently in the draft this time around. And I wouldn't, I would be shocked. Let me put it this way. I'd be absolutely floored if they weren't looking at wings uh, with a, an, an increased level of interest. Yeah, look, I would be extremely concerned if that if that wasn't the case, given the gaping hole that the Bulls have on the wing, but particularly when we watch these playoffs at the moment and the fact that teams are running multiple wings on the court at one time. It's not enough to have two or three wings on your roster. You have to have two or three wings that you can play almost at the same time. So it, it is a concern for the Bulls. They need to be looking at wings, but obviously there's more holes in that. They they have a lot of you know issues, let's say, with on-ball creation. I know Zach Levine has sort of emerged as an elite offensive finisher and Kobe White showed flashes as being a you know, uh, someone that could potentially be a very confident, you know, isolation scorer, someone who can grab a bucket for themselves as well. But on-ball creation, creation for others, that is still problematic for the Bulls, particularly if they do intend to keep build, rebuilding around Larry Markin and Wendell Carter, two players who will, you know, always be highly assisted players. They need someone to feed them the ball. They need someone to create the basket. They'll create baskets for them, so to speak. So that... That is also a concern for me as to, you know, if if they do fill the hole with a wing, if or if they do grab a wing, let's say, whoever that may be, whether it's, you know, Devin Vassell, Danny Avdia, or whatever, whoever that wing may be, I mean, that would be nice. It obviously fills a potential hole, hopefully, assuming that player turns out to be a reasonable player, but you've still got major issues elsewhere. So in terms of the, the, the type of player they should be prioritizing, is it, are you sort of thinking more wing sort of player, more on-ball sort of creator? Because at the moment, there doesn't seem to be a player at number four available to the Bulls that sort of checks multiple boxes at least. Right. It, it, it is really, it comes down to which player do you think is closer in range that fills one of those needs. It, it has to be, you know, I'm just going to go position now instead of just wing. Because when we say wing, yep. it, it's primarily a small forward we're talking about here. Because theoretically, Zach Levine is a wing. Uh, but but he's not that kind of wing. We're talking about like the legit small forward who can sort of play multiple positions, who can slide between the two, the three, and maybe even the four, because it's that kind of versatility that we're looking for in today's yeah. game. Uh, a mm-hmm. case in point, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, those two can effectively put, play three positions, and, and that's the type of player you're looking for. Is that player in this draft? Right now, it doesn't appear that way. Um, but given that the Bulls are drafting third, if by some miracle, and I don't think it's going to happen, Lamelo Ball drops, uh, I, I think he's the guy you need to key in on because then you get the playmaker. He's the guy in this draft who has that one clear-cut bankable skill, and that is to get others involved. He His court yeah. vision is absolutely fantastic. And the way that he moves on the court, he's got very loose hips. He's very fluid in his motions. That allows him to actually make a lot of different passes that we haven't even seen yet. Because he can deliver that ball at full speed. And when he's crossing the court and like he's, you know, doing his crossovers, getting into the lane, he's got his head on a swivel. And because he's got those very flexible hips, it allows him to turn in midair or very quickly while on the floor in either direction. So he can throw those passes really, really quickly and very, very accurately. And that is going to enhance the game of Zach Levine. It's going to enhance the game of Kobe White because those guys aren't can shoot the ball and Laurie Markinen as well. So that guy would come in and immediately solve the Bulls' playmaking issues. 
Now, granted, he's not a strong defender, so <laughs> that would be problematic because you would have Levine, yeah. Kobe White, and then Lamelo Ball. Um, you know, three guards essentially who can't defend. That that's so that, but that's that's an issue that you have to figure out for another day. At the very least, you get the playmaking done. Um, but if the Bulls were to trade down a little bit, you know, the, the options for the wing position becomes a lot more intriguing. Uh, like you, we mentioned, Vassell, there's Aaron Neesmith, there's Sadiq Bay. You know, there, there are a lot of guys who can fill out that wing position. So maybe that is in their interest. And, we, you know, we know that Boston is looking to trade away some of their, I think it's three first-round draft picks that they have. Maybe there's something in that. And I even forgot to mention Isaac Okoro as well. Yeah, it's 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 funny in a twisted way. And, and to that point, and, and, you know, you, you just sort of mentioned there that maybe the Bulls potentially could, could talk about trading down. And I definitely want to get into that aspect as to what they should be doing with the number four pick but in a, yeah in a cruel twisted way the bulls move up in the draft they jump in a jump up to number four but in some ways in this specific draft it would have been actually ideal to maybe stay at number seven or be in that number eight range somewhere in in that specific range let's say because i'm almost intrigued more by the players that are in that range and maybe feel a little bit a little bit more confident and comfortable with the players in that range at least being floor raisers let's say Whereas now I, I kind of feel like the Bulls are sort of just out of of uh, just out of a sort of reaching point of you know the the likes of someone like Lamelo Ball. I don't know how you feel about Anthony Edwards. I'm not too high on him, but uh, still, I mean, he's obviously you know a guy that's probably going to go one or two in this draft. So this, they're just outside those top couple picks, but then they're sort of stuck in that mid range where. Yeah, you'd be happy with a lot of the players, maybe that they would take at number four. But how how good how you good you feel about it? Who who the hell knows? Whereas if you're at number seven, you wouldn't necessarily have to think about that or consider about that or feel that way. I suppose it would have been nice, I guess, if they jumped up to number four in a in another draft, maybe in the, in 2017 or 18 or even 19, um, maybe less so in this specific draft. But in terms of what they should do with pick number four, do you think they should stay pat? pick someone at number four, whether it's Killian Hayes, you know, that on-ball creator that maybe can maybe can break out to be that sort of star on-ball creator or do they take a wing like Vassell or someone like that or do they trade up? Do they trade down? Do they even trade out of the draft? You know, what would you do at number four if you were kind of showbiz? All right, well, so this is just me and I, I, I've mentioned this to you before. You you are not quite sold on this idea, I know, but, but th- <laughs> this is just me. I am in love with Troy Brown Jr. from Washington. I think he is just outstanding and he solves so many things. He's a wing, but he's also got great playmaking capabilities. He's an improving shooter. He's he's actually become quite a good defender and he's already an elite rebounder for his position. Uh, I have him as my most improved player pick for next season. And if Washington was so inclined to trade him for number four, I actually would go that route, even if he does have two years less on his rookie deal. So financially, it would you know, hurt the Bulls in the end. But I, I, I would go that route. If, if it was up to me and that trade was on the table, that's what I would do. That would be number one for me. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not opposed to Brown, the player, so to speak. I think he's an interesting and an interesting prospect who certainly developed and became a better player this this. This season, I don't know how many Bulls fans actually watched Wizards basketball, watched Troy Brown, and why the hell would you? I mean, they were just as bad as the Bulls, really. So why would you want to double your pain in that sense? But I get, yeah. The, the, my main issue with it is one, I don't see Brown being a star level player, and two, he's already played two years in the league, so he, the, the time on his rookie contract is already 
he's already ticking. I mean, he's halfway through it sort of thing. So in, in that sense, he'd be on a similar timeline from Wendell in terms of, you know, an extension at a similar time. Obviously, the Bulls have got to think about that in a year's time with Larry marketing. I mean, they can already give an extension to Larry now, but if not now, then at least in a year's time. So that's my main or my main two reservations about doing a deal like that where you're probably trading for a good player, someone who probably doesn't have star upside, and you're going to have to maybe pay in two years' time. And there's a real good chance that maybe the Bulls don't get anyone better at Troy Brown at number four, but I, I kind of would still want to take that chance at maybe Killian Hayes breaking out into that start or being at least a better player than Troy Brown. You know, that that's just me personally. I, I certainly understand your your reasoning for it. And I, I guess just mentally, I, I always just... I always have a wall about trading out of the draft just because when you sort of land a number four pick or you've got a high lottery pick, and I think it's more to do with the sunk cost of going through eight, nine months of a terrible season and the only saving grace being a nice, juicy lottery pick and to to sort of trade that away for a, a player that maybe, you know, would be a good player, but maybe doesn't have that star appeal. I guess it's probably more that 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 that's probably more my issue with it i suppose the fact that i've had to sit through 10 months of bad bull, bull, bulls basketball looking forward to the draft looking forward to hopefully drafting a star and then just to turn that into a you know a, a good player i don't know it, it just it's there's less sex appeal about it i suppose no i get that i completely get that and your reasons reasonings are are very valid it, it's because i i just have this this is again it's personal preference for me I just love Troy Brown Jr. I think he's going to be one hell of a starter in this league. Now, you said he might not be a star, and I think I, I could agree with that. There is definitely that world wherein he doesn't become a star. I do think there is also a world wherein he does become a star. But but I agree with you that so far, uh, you know, the, the odds are that he's just going to be a very, very good starter, and maybe that's it, which, you know, is fine in a nutshell, but... You're right. There is that opportunity when you're playing the draft, you're just going to hit a home run. Now, in this draft in particular, that's probably a little bit more more of a harder sell, which is why I'm way more open to it. But I agree with you that that is the appeal of going through a, you know, a very tough season. It is to have that juicy draft pick, as you described it, because you know you never know what that can turn into. What if you get a franchise player? What if you get someone who can lead you to the promised land in a couple of years? It, it, I completely get that romanticism about the draft. I love the draft, so I completely get it. And that, that is why, ironically, I, I think it's so funny that we as an NBA community have this tendency of basically ignoring Anthony Edwards. I know that his shot profile was horrible in college. But when you look at his physicality and when you look at the the upside that he has on both ends of the court, he's probably the one guy, I would argue, that could become a superstar if he got his head on right and if he took more mature decisions. Uh, granted, you know, when you have players who doesn't who don't really possess a, 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 a you know a high level of basketball IQ, there is a cap on that ceiling. But there's always this idea that, oh, maybe he was just cruising in college because he was waiting to go to the NBA. That's why he just took a lot of pull-up threes. He didn't really care, a la Ben Simmons, a little bit. Um, now, I don't know if that's true. That's just a theory that's going around a little bit. But if there, if you want someone with severe upside who could become that guy for you, I, I think it's Edwards. Well, and that brings me back to that situation of, you know, he's for the wrong spot to be in almost because you're just outside of the range for LaMelo and, and Edwards. I mean, they're going to probably only go number one and two. 
who the hell knows goes three, and then the Bulls are obviously left at four. I mean, the ultimate worst case for the Bulls is, you know, Lamelo goes one, let's say, Edwards goes two, and maybe Killian Hayes goes three. And then you're sort of left with a bunch of wings, James Wiseman, Okongwu, these sorts of guys, Obi Toppin. So in that sense, that on-ball creator, if they, if those guys go one, two, three, which I think is a possibility, then all of a sudden number four becomes even less appealing than what it is. So it's an interesting situation. I want to talk about whether the Bulls should trade up or trade down. But before we do that, let's tell our listeners about this week's sponsors. First up, let me tell you about Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You had to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30. I also want to tell you all about Bet Online, Folks, the wait is finally over. Football is officially back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on the season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take full advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, back to the podcast and back to speaking about the number four pick. We were talking more about what the Bulls should do. We've, we've sort of discussed loosely there your idea of maybe trading out of the draft and trading a number four pick for a player like Troy Brown. But, it, you know, what what scope do the Bulls have to do? Yeah, what scope do the Bulls have in terms of trading up or even trading down? What's more likely? What represents best value in your opinion? And, and, and how would you approach the draft from that standpoint, if they are staying in it, but maybe not necessarily wanting to stay at number four, what do you think is more likely and what do you think is the best solution? Well, every team seems to be wanting to trade down. So it yeah. was no secret that Minnesota, who won number one, were, were not exactly thrilled because no team wanted number one actively. It was sort of a hot potato thing. Everyone wanted to avoid number one because there's a lot, there's always a lot of pressure on picking the number one right. And in this draft, there's a high bust of risk for a lot of, for, for a lot of players. So it, it wasn't that appealing to win this lottery. And, and virtually every team, uh, in the lottery have been discussing in some level or not, or at least be rumored to be discussing trading 
both out of the draft or down in the draft. So if the Bulls add themselves to that list of teams going, well, we, we want to trade down, there's a lot of competition there. Uh, so you could ask the question, if so many teams are interested in trading down, could you get a haul if you wanted to trade up? Like, could you get a good deal in that sense? Yeah. Would you have to pay mm-hmm. less to trade up because teams are desperate to trade down? Maybe, but then you have to trade up to at least two so you get one of Edwards and Ball, and preferably Ball, because you know he solves that issue for you, and he has that one bangable skill that we've talked about. Uh, is that in the cards? I don't know. Like, If it was me personally, I too would prefer to trade down, and that's because every team is seeing what you and I are discussing, that there are a lot of intriguing options later down on the draft board. Uh, where it's somewhat more okay to whiff on a guy, potentially. So <laughs> there's not going to be that stigma around the organization that, oh, you're bad at drafting because this is a really a crapshoot draft. And if you, if you, if you flunk on a guy at 14 or 15, you know, it, it's, it's not the end of the world. But if you draft up or trade up and you get someone in at two or one or three where, you know, that guy doesn't pan out and he becomes a bust, that, that's going to haunt you for a long time. So. Again, I get the appeal of trading down, and I would too. I mean, Boston with the three first-rounders, very appealing option. I don't know if they would be willing to trade up at all. They seem to be interested in trading out of the draft. They also have quite a lot of young guys on their roster already. But if you could swing a deal for four, uh, for 15, yeah, what they have, they have 14, they have 26 and 30. I don't know if you can get all three, maybe two of them, but I, I would definitely do that if that was on the table. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting situation. I'm kind of hoping like a team like the Knicks just do very Knicksy type things where they would be interested in trading up for four and trading out of eight, let's say, and they give you a future first round pick. Now, I would definitely not do that if I was them because a future first round pick to jump off four places in this draft is kind of dumb. But I'm sort of hoping the Knicks are very dumb and would do something like that. <laughs> so if the Bulls can sort of slide down maybe four places, get their hands on a Devin Vassell or an Isaac Okoro at number eight whilst picking up a future pick from the Knicks that would be nice I'm hopeful that the Knicks remain dumb obviously they got they got new management in there so maybe they're not as as silly as what they've been in the past but that's probably what it would take for me to trade down trading up uh, yeah uh, whilst there, there might be a lot of teams willing to sell particularly the Warriors I mean they're probably the most likely to sell that number two pick I would, I would imagine they'd be wanting to package it up with a few other assets maybe Andrew Wiggins's contract and try to get in another star to come back with Curry uh, Thompson and, and obviously Draymond so I would assume that number pick two is probably the most likely one to get dealt but I mean for the Bulls to move up two places is there, is there enough delta between someone like Killian Hayes and LaMelo Ball for the Bulls to sort of jump up from two to four plus giving up an additional asset? To your point, obviously, a lot of teams may be willing to trade down, so maybe that limits or reduces the value of what you need to sort of include with number four pick to jump up with number two. But even then, I mean, is there enough of a delta between Killian Hayes and LaMelo, Ball's, uh, LaMelo Ball or Anthony Edwards to make that to make that leap up to number two? Do you think that even makes sense in that way? Well, no, see, that's the, it depends on the asset that I would be giving up yeah. from the Bulls. That that really what's boil, boils down to it. If Killian Hayes is there at four, you know, sure, you, you can go, you can take him and you can run with him and you can say, you know, it's he's a lesser player than LaMelo Ball, but if, if his value outweighs what you would eventually give up as the additional asset, you go with him. I will say as much about Killian Hayes, because I know NBA Draft Twitter is high on him, 
and that's that's fair. He's got a lot of in in his game that I also like. But he broke out because he actually made the move to Germany. So he played in France before uh, there were some issues contractually and with with the with the team, and then he simply just bailed out and said, "You know what? I'm I'm going to Germany instead." Uh, it is far more. Uh, it's it's far easier succeeding in Germany than in France. So the French league is the second most athletic league in the world, uh, even more so than than the ACB league. Um, the French league just loves athletes and and especially guys with lots of athleticism and speed. And he wasn't really up to par there in Germany, which is a very slow down league. He's doing a lot of good work, but you also have to wonder. How is he going to adapt to the NBA, which is by far the most athletic league in the world? Um, so, so there is a part of me that's a little bit skeptical about him as as an NBA prospect, at least right now, and how he'll play from years one to two. I think ultimately he's going to be a fine NBA player, but I, I think the adjustment period is is going to take some time. So that's one of the things that I also have in the back of my mind. Uh, plus the fact that I don't know if he's like a natural playmaker. Uh, for others specifically, whereas ball, you, that problem just gets solved. Like you know, you're getting a guy who can score, who can rebound, who can give you assists. Uh, you you are getting that at the bare minimum. Now, what you don't know is the defense and the shooting percentages, which are pretty huge as well. Yeah, I would probably go with Hayes if the asset that the clubs are demanding is you know Kobe White, for example. I wouldn't yeah. give up Kobe White to move up to to uh, to pieces. You know. Yeah, look, I, I kind of feel the same, and I, even Larry Markin, who I'm kind of down on at this point, I I wouldn't even include him for with number four to move up for number two. I, like, it just feels like the Bulls players that may be appealing to another team to sort of trade up are worth more than that two spot leap. Maybe if the Bulls were sort of at seven and trying to get up to two, then maybe I'd be more willing to part with one of those quote unquote members of the core. But um, at this point, I don't just I just don't think there is that enough enough of a delta between Anthony Edwards or Lamelo Ball or whoever it might be between Killian Hayes and you know Denny or Isaac Okora or whoever whoever the hell the Bulls sort of sort of target at number four. I just I just don't know if that's worth the risk to trade up in that sense. I'm probably more inclined to trade down. But to your point, it seems like so many teams are willing to trade down that those options must may not be available so it's an interesting situation i i guess the way i'm sort of rounding rounding out my my own thoughts to this specific draft and and you mentioned it there the draft twitter and even bulls twitter a lot of them are pretty high on killian hayes a lot of them are high on denny as well thinking that he's um a uh a, not not exactly a luca clone let's say but a version of him and i i obviously don't think that's the case but a lot of bulls fans as is typically the case around this stage think that we're going to find a, a, a player that has a legitimate shot at stardom at number four, whereas me, uh, the more I look at this draft, the more I'm thinking it's probably more likely that whoever they take at number four will be an interesting prospect, an appealing prospect, but probably most likely their best case scenario is being a high-end role player or something like, of that nature because any player you sort of identify at number four, the chances are of them reaching stardom is pretty low because all of these guys seemingly have some sort of major issue within their game that may prevent them from reaching that level, which is why I'm sort of projecting most of these guys to being hopefully a high-end role player. But do you think any of the guys that are sort of potentially available at the Bulls at number four have a more than sort of 25% chance at being a star or is even that too high? 
Yeah, that's that's too high, I think. Yeah. Um, so, so I actually like Denny, um, to be completely frank with you. Not okay. that I think he's Luca. <laughs> I want to get that right <laughs> no. out of the yeah, way yeah. immediately. Yeah. But I actually think that Denny is uh, – and people are probably going to raise their eyebrows a little bit. I think he's somewhat of a safe pick. I think he's got uh, a high floor. I don't necessarily know whether or not he's got a high ceiling. But but the thing is he's he's a jack-of-all-trades, a master of none. But mm-hmm. that whole jack-of-all-trades is actually an asset for him, especially in this draft where you know the swings for, for each player's potential can, can dra- vary wildly. Danny comes in with a, a – pretty established game like he's actually a pretty solid uh, post defender he's his shooting is right now average from the outside but it's there it's it, it's more so the free throw component that is worrisome uh he can handle the ball well for someone six nine he's got a pretty nice passing package like he can pass out of the post he can pass on the perimeter he can even pass when he's on a live triple just not as well in high speed, but given that he's not even 20 years old yet, you know, those skills can be refined. For him, it boils down to, can I add a little shake and bake in my dribble package? Can I become that consistent shooter? If those two questions are being answered, yes, I can. He could be that combo forward, like the three, four thing that could work in in a new age Bulls lineup. I, I look at Denny as what an NBA power forward should be. A guy who can yeah. handle the ball, pass, initiate the offense, not as the primary option, but like a secondary or tertiary option. Mm-hmm. And Denny kind of fits that mold. I would not hate it. And I can also say that our, our conversation, which has lasted 35 minutes about all these potential scenarios, it's it's kind of moot because what I, from what I'm hearing, uh, if the draft was tonight and Denny would be available at four, the Bulls would take him. Yeah, it's an interesting situation. Like, I, I'm okay with Denny if he becomes the Bulls' power forward. I know a lot of Bulls fans see Zach as the shooting guard. They see Kobe as point guard. They obviously Lowry and, see Lowry and Wendell as power forward and center. I've got most concerns about the Bulls rebuilding around two traditionally sized bigs, bigs who can't necessarily uh, change or play multiple positions, let's say. So I'm less wedded to the idea of Larry marketing. You sort of floated a bit at the top of this podcast that you have more concerns around him as well. But I kind of like the idea of building Denny up to be that power forward rather than slotting him in at small forward. Because if you do plot him at small forward, I think that does take away some of the um, the more appealing aspects of his game. And I'd rather getting away from the perimeter at this point um, and sort of having him not be a small forward or even a two guard in in certain matchups. I'd rather him be that power forward. And in that sense, that makes someone like Lowry more expendable in my eyes. So a take that I've been working on in the background is if you can sort of move someone like Larry Markinen for a pick in this draft in this sort of six to eight range and you can get your hands on Denny at four and maybe land a Cora or, or, um, you know, Devin Vassell at seven, let's say, or eight. I'd be inclined to do that, and then that way you can sort of have Denny build up to be your power forward. You can have a core OB, your small forward of the future, let's say. Put those two guys next to Levine and, and Kobe White. I'm more into that lineup than having Larry at the four. And uh, I'm okay in drafting Denny at number four if you sort of project him to be that power forward of the future, let's say, rather than the small forward. But obviously that's thinking way down in advance, but... Um, that's probably where I differ with a lot of Bulls fans, but because I do see him as that combo forward, but ultimately as a power forward. 
Well, I mean, you just ruined my Forbes article that I'm writing these days. That's oh, really? that's intriguing. Yeah, because that's the exact same idea that I've been toying around with. <laughs> so well, that's I, uh, that's a home run hit right there. Yeah, no, I, I, that, I, I didn't come out before this point. that I had been reading your emails and um, I had hacked this... into your emails and was just reading your thoughts and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but, uh, well, no, but we're it, on it's, a similar wavelength, int- clearly. We definitely are. Just as we were on the similar wavelength, that Giannis should go to Dallas in 2021. So I like that. Yes, yeah. nice. Yeah, I mean, Bulls fans obviously want Giannis to come here. He's obviously not coming to Chicago, but he, should, no. he most definitely should go to Dallas. But look, I'm down with that idea about Denny at four. If you can sort of move Markkinen for a small forward, I think that makes sense. Whether it's a small forward within this draft, whether it's a you know Troy Brown Jr. or a small forward that's sort of existing within the NBA already. If, if you're taking, to me, someone who's you know can play that sort of three four. Probably is more projectable as a four as the league continues to downsize. I mean, we've got to think about the league downsizing now at this point. We're just getting done watching the playoffs at this point where, you know, Boston and Toronto, they're not playing any, basically, any power forwards or center to close their their, um, their lineups at this point. So if that's what's happening now in 2020, you just got to think about where the league's going to be in 2022, 2024, who the hell is going to be manning the power forward and, and the center positions at that point. And that's why I've got a lot of concern about Larry at power forward. So... That's why I think Denny of power forward is an interesting option rather than at small forward. And then if you can move Lowry for a, for a wing in this draft or otherwise, then that's appealing to me. But um, look, it, it, it will, obviously there's a, there's a lot to play out. This whole, this whole thing will move a lot over the next couple of months. We'll obviously, we still got a lot of work, or at least I do, to sort of go into these specific prospects and to see how appealing they are. But I guess my... My overall takeaway at this point is whoever the Bulls take at number four, I'm probably going to have more questions and more more questions and answers, and I'm not going to be over the moon about it. You know, I'll be I'll be quietly content, let's say, but um, not necessarily thrilled with how it is, and I won't necessarily see this pick as someone who's going to nece- who's going to change the perception of this rebuild at least, as as we you know, and maybe a number four pick in previous drafts with like a Jaron Jackson Jr. or something like that. So. Anyways, that's enough draft talk at this point. Uh, I wanted to talk about the Bulls coaching search because whilst we haven't necessarily heard too much about the Bulls coaching search in, in you know, that it being uh, the, the list of candidates being whittled down to a select few, few coaches have reached out to about 10 guys or plan to reach out to 10 guys at this point. I guess the only addition that I wanted to, or the only addendum to the conversation that I wanted to discuss in terms of the Bulls coaching position since last time I got on the podcast was the fact that Billy Donovan parted ways with the, uh, the OKC Thunder. He's entered the coaching market. Woj reported that the Bulls have an interest in potentially hiring or at least interviewing Billy, Billy Donovan. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Should the Bulls be pursuing Billy Donovan? Should they have an interview with him? And perhaps even further, if it progresses, should they be even thinking about Billy Donovan as their next coach? Yeah, I, I think they should. The question is if there's interest from the other side because Donovan yeah. didn't want to go through the rebuild in Oklahoma City. And I would argue the Bulls are very much in a rebuild. Um, so so I have to wonder if the interest level is even there. If he wants to compete now, uh, and, and given that he's a former college coach, those guys have a tendency to, to really want to work with win-now teams. Uh, I, I don't think the Bulls would be the right spot for him because he'll be he'll be coming in and he'll be impatient and wanting to get this thing off the ground quickly, which could lead to a lot of disastrous roster decision, to be perfectly honest. But in the case that he comes in and is, is patient and says, okay, you know what? I just wanted a change of scenery. I'm still on board for a rebuild. Absolutely. 
I, I think what's most important is the Bulls find a coach who understands the reality of things. Like yeah. I understand that the Bulls underperformed this season. They they did. They they are not a you know how much did they win? Was it twenty two, twenty three games? Yeah, something like that. I can't even remember yeah. at this point. I was no, I, I can't to be either. honest with you. I've sort of tried to erase that from my mind. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, we have enough problems in 2022 to, yeah. to worry about the Bulls' win total. Uh, but but even so, you know, the Bulls were somewhat projected to, to make the playoffs, but maybe, you know, as some did and some did. And I, I think it's, it's just important not to paint them as this surefire uh, playoff team that it was only Jim Boylan who <laughs> who yeah. kept them back. Like it's the problems go beyond that, of course. One hundred percent, right? So, yeah. so it, it, you know, identifying a coach, you you need to make sure that this this person is patient, patient, and he's got to fo- focus on player development. You know, um, I'm I'm not saying the Bulls should go out and hire Brett Brown, but you know what he went through in Philly in just in terms of player development was kind of positive. And you would kind of, if you were to hire him, you should know right off the bat that he's a point A to point B kind of coach, and that's sort of it. So it really depends on what you want to go. Do you want to find a coach who can possibly go the distance if the if the rebuild is successful, or are you okay with hiring a coach that you know you need to replace three or four years down the road? Yeah, I think that's a good point, and 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 that's how I'm thinking about. It. I'm not thinking about this next coaching hire being the next coach that raises up, you know, championship number seven for the Bulls. I'm thinking about this, whoever this coach is, being the one that can extract the the most value out of these young talent, whether it's the guys on this roster, guys that come through this roster in the next couple of years, whoever it is, just give me the guy who is best at developing these players and maximizing these players, whether it's to get the most out of these players, to attract a free agency, a free agent in two years' time, or to get the most out of these guys to make them appealing on the trade market, whatever the strategy may be, just just make sure the, this, this team, these players, just max out whatever their potential is. That's all I really care about at this point, which is why I'm probably leaning to Kenny Atkinson being my preferred hire at this point because he's a more of a known quantity based on the on the on the you know of all the coaches the bulls have sort of identified a lot of them are would be first-time head coaches which is not it's not surprising based on how the bulls have done things in the past they typically hire rookie coaches you know assistants highly regarded assistants from other teams that's generally their approach they've gone those sorts of guys are nice and cheap you can sort of get them under your control you can they're a little bit more malleable in that sense they have less less influence Kenny Atkinson really seemingly, and Billy Donovan at this point, maybe two, they're the only two guys that obviously have NBA coaching experience. We haven't necessarily seen Donovan uh, develop players in the NBA. Obviously, he's gone into a situation where those players there have been more of a finished product in OKC, obviously with Durant and, and Westbrook previously. The, just the Westbrook years, and now what we saw now with Chris Paul, obviously, uh, and, and, and the team that he sort of had around Chris Paul in, in 2020 playoffs. So we haven't necessarily seen Billy Donovan develop talent in the NBA, but obviously he has all that, you know, all that experience developing players in college. So that's why I'm appealing, what's why Billy Donovan's appealing to me, because I believe he would be a coach that we, we at least have some semblance of an idea can develop a roster. Same thing with Kenny Atkinson, but I can't say that categorically that Dan Craig or Steven Silas or Wes Unsell Jr., these 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 assistant coaches who come highly regarded from elsewhere, we obviously haven't seen them 
be NBA coaches. So can they make that leap to that coaching position? And, you know, when they do that, can they can they adequately, adequately develop talent at the same time? They're the questions I have. So I'm very much in on Billy Donovan potentially being the next Bulls coach. I'm very much in on Kenny Atkinson being the next Bulls coach because I've seen those guys. I know what they can do. And this Bulls rebuild is kind of at a little bit of an interesting impasse at the moment where, yeah, it's a young roster. There's still a rebuild, but we're not long away from Zach Levine needing a new deal. We're not long away from an extension from Larry Marketing. Similarly for Wendell Carter, time goes pretty quickly. And the and whilst we like to think about this situation, you know, that we've got years upon years to, to sort of go with this rebuild, we really don't. So we need to extract the most value and the most potential out of these players as soon as we can. And that's why I'm that's why I'm intrigued and why I was pleased to see Billy Billy Donovan's name connected to the Bulls because I think he is a good coach. Whether he's the next one that brings a title to Chicago, I don't care. I, I don't care at this point. You know, can he develop players? I have more faith in Donovan and Atkinson doing that than someone who's untested in the NBA. Let's say. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I, I will say you know Darvin Ham. Uh, should be on that list solely because Seth Part now speaks highly of him, and I trust Seth's opinion <laughs> more than anyone. Um, Ham is 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 one guy who just keeps being brought up in conversations around the league. It seems like yeah. every article is is kind of pinpointing him specifically. Now I don't know if we can point to Milwaukee's cast of characters outside of Giannis and go look at all the improvements uh, because they simply don't have young guys. I mean, their youngest yeah. player right now. Is is twenty three years old, and their second youngest, Sterling Brown, is twenty five. So it, they, it, we just don't have that uh, luxury of knowing how they mm-hmm. develop young players, and, and I think that's um, yeah, I, I think that's one of the concerns. So I, I agree with you that if Billy Donovan and Kenny Atkinson were interested, that's definitely a known commodity that you're bringing in, and and also I think Atkinson got a bum rap. Uh, for being let go in Brooklyn because obviously that was led a lot by Kyrie and KD and when your players of that magnitude are taking decisions out of your you know hands uh, that's just going to muddy the waters a lot and that's you know I, I think people are looking at Atkinson's oh if you couldn't keep a job why should we hire you for another position and that's just wrong that's not the way yeah. you should look at it uh. you should look at it as two players who basically took that decision and that's it yeah, I, I completely, uh, I completely agree. That there's some people that are completely out on Atkinson. Uh, they just look at his win loss record and just assume he's a very bad coach, or you know, at best, an average coach, or whatever it may be. And I just disagree with that completely. I think it's completely uh, lacking the nuance or context to understand the situation. And, and if people want to write off Kenny Atkinson because of his record or whatever it might be, or because you know Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving didn't necessarily want him to stick around, then I think they're kind of missing the point specifically with the Bulls situation. But yeah, maybe I would feel differently about it if the Bulls were sort of in year one of the rebuild. I have no doubt. Well, I shouldn't say no doubt, but I'm sure someone like Darvin Ham or Ime Yudoka or Wes Unsell Jr., whoever it may be, the chances are probably pretty high that those guys come into a situation and end up being good NBA head coaches based on the the amount of praise they're sort of receiving at this point. But from our vantage point, I I just don't know. I, I don't know how I can make that judgment that these guys would be a success. And you know, bringing it back to the bull situation, we come we're coming from a situation where our last two coaches have been novice coaches. Let's say they haven't coached in the NBA, and now that we're going into year four of the rebuild, it's it's just a critical time. And 
I would rather go with Kenny Atkinson or Billy Donovan at that point because I just have more comfort around those guys getting the best out of these players than Darvin Ham or Wes Unsell Jr. Like I said, those guys might be end up being good, but I, I just don't want to take any risks at this point. So that's my that's my thoughts on that. I'm pleased to see Donovan's in the conversation, whether he wants to be here or not. That's obviously a very good point. He may not want to be, and particularly if he's getting job job offers from the Sixers or the, or the Pelicans or whoever it may be, the Indiana Pacers. There's teams ahead of the Bulls that would probably uh, help Donovan's win less, rock, win less record more so than the Bulls. So it's going to be an interesting situation, but uh, it was noteworthy, so hence why I wanted to bring it up. No, I agree with you. It, it is sort of important whether or not Billy Donovan actually wants to be in Chicago. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe the Bulls will just be forced into picking one of these first-time coaches. But uh, we shall find out. I'm sure there'll be some updates on the coaching search in the next week or so. And uh, and when there, when there is, we'll be back to uh, to go all over that news. But for now, more, that pretty much takes it out for this episode of the show. We've, we've hit on the draft. I think it was a good primer as to more of a philosophical situation for the Bulls as to what they should be thinking about at number four, trading up, trading down, how appealing that pick necessarily is in the draft. And obviously, we just talked on Billy Donovan, etc. So I think we've covered it all in Bulls Nation at this point. I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been a while that you've been on the show, but I'm glad we were able to do it again. Uh, but before you go, mate, tell the people where they can follow you online. Yeah, well, thank you once again for having me. It's always a joy. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at MSJNBA. Uh, I write for Forbes as well. And I just uh, started a new YouTube channel called The NBA Show, which uh, is is a direct cousin, I want to say, to the podcast that I run with Brian Support called The NBA Podcast. Uh, <laughs> very creative names, I know, but I'm sticking to my, my very bland brand here. So <laughs> check those out if you want to. Uh, just put up a new video recently about, you know, the max contract and uh, also about, you know, the whole greatest of all time debate. So, yeah, go check those out. Yes, definitely go do that. Subscribe to Morton's YouTube channel. Obviously, subscribe to his podcast. Follow him on Twitter so you can obviously get a hold of his, his latest articles and posts and those sorts of things or just his general thoughts. Um, Mort, thank you for coming on, mate. Thank you for having me. Have a good one, Mark. You too, mate. And Bulls fans, while you're at it, whilst you're searching for Mort online, you can find me on Twitter too at MK Hoops. You can follow the show on Twitter too at Bulls HQ Pod. If you want to send me an email, do so. BullsHQPod at gmail.com. If you want to be part of the Bulls HQ Discord forum, send me an email. I will give you a link. You can join up and come be part of the conversation with a a number of Bulls fans on there. We've got over 100 Bulls fans up in that Discord channel. Um, Talking Bulls 24-7. So if you want to be part of it, send me an email. But that just about does it on this episode of the show. We'll be back later again next week. Once we learn more about the Bulls coaching search. We'll be talking more draft in the weeks coming up as well, but that just about does it on this episode. Thank you for listening. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. 
You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.